It's hard to concentrate on that baby with that beard on your face. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is October 22nd, 2019, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. I'm joined in the studio by one of my co-hosts, senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Uh, it's good. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here in uh, an alternative studio yes. that we're, we're kind of in exile from our usual place, but <laughs> we're, we're making do. It's very exciting to be in a new in a new studio. And on the line from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? I'm great, Are you Sarah. doing okay? Why are you concerned about my well-being? Because of the Jets? Yes, because you've said a couple of times now that you are done with sports forever. So um, that's a problem. <laughs> look, I'm, I'm in a I'm in a bad spot, and uh, it's uniquely terrible. Uh, Is it? Yeah, you're the only terrible. one suffering from Seriously? sports right now. Well, let's yeah. think about this, Neil. What town <laughs> has it worse than me currently? With my configuration of teams, everything combined, the Jets, the Mets. Yesterday with the Jets, I honestly convinced myself they had a shot, and it was... I mean, isn't that just kind of just it was dumb foolish. on your part? It was foolish, yeah, okay, all right. foolish optimism, it's... and I was punished for it, Sarah, um, <laughs> because that game... You know what that was? They even mentioned it on the broadcast, and I had thought about it before, was almost exactly in some ways like the butt fumble game, but without the butt fumble. <laughs> National television, everyone's having a good old laugh. When the overly optimistic Jets get throttled by the Patriots and, embar- and their quarterback humiliates themselves. I that's mean, just you've described and, every Jets-Patriots game. Yeah, actually. Hold on. Hold on. I believe uh, I believe we were the last team to beat them in Foxborough in the playoffs. Is that accurate? Let's check that. I just like the just abject despair that you're feeling over one game. Like my baseball team was humiliated, swept out of the playoffs, and I you did made not the carry playoffs. on like you are. You made the playoffs. You overachieved. You had a fun year they where you hit all these home runs. They did overachieve a little bit. And I'm just an anti-fan at this point. I just antagonize <laughs> Yankee fans. I have nothing of left. my own. I know. Everyone is in their own personal dark place right now. To answer your question why it was so bad this weekend, because by Michigan losing its second game and by dropping a game-tying touchdown, that was very catchable. And then... The Jets, by losing their fifth game, I mean, come on, I think we all knew this season was already over, but this really officially stamped it. Can we cue up the the, the clip of you last week being like, you know, they're going to make the playoffs, guys. (laughs) You know, they just win this game. Look, I went from Jets as the worst team in the history of the NFL to I think the Jets are going to make the playoffs, guys. I think it's going to happen. Any of our listeners know that was a little tongue in cheek. I didn't honestly (laughs) believe that. I did kind of believe that. (laughs) Well, hey, at least, Jeff, your fantasy football team won, destroying my fantasy football team. Neil, how did your fantasy team do? Uh, We lost. Two straight tough losses. You know, it's uh, it's fantasy. Just for the record, I I do have Sam Darnold on my bench, and he last night uh, had negative six point seven fantasy points. Negative six point (laughs) seven. Wow, six point (laughs) seven. Fantasy points. You know, you see the negative one. You usually don't see negative six from a quarterback. That's no, or from anyone. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, from anyone. (laughs) 
Well, in in real sports, this coming weekend, we're going to crown a champion in the National Women's Soccer League, which is exciting. Sunday afternoon's match will pitch the North Carolina Courage and the Chicago Red Stars. The Courage are the defending champs. This is the first time since 2016 that the final matchup won't be the Courage and the Thorns. The Courage will face the Chicago Red Stars, who advanced to their first championship game. The Courage and the Red Stars met several times during the regular season. They tied one-to-one to open the season. The Red Stars won the next two games at home, but the Courage will have home field advantage for the finals. Should be a fun match this Sunday. We'll enjoy watching that. On today's show, we'll look at predictions for the NBA season and compare our model to all the hot takes out there. We'll assess the mismatched odds for the World Series. And we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. The NBA officially tips off tonight with two games. First, the New Orleans Pelicans will play the defending champion Toronto Raptors. And that will be followed by the L.A. rivalry, Clippers versus Lakers, that has the league buzzing. As we've gotten closer and closer to the start of the season, the NBA media has been chock full of some pretty hot takes. Here's a taste. I think it's the Clippers championship to lose this year. I don't think the Clippers quite ready to win a championship. If you get into a playoff situation, I'm going to have a very tough time yeah. picking against LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's going to be tough. The only way James Harden can make the finals is if he shaves his beard. I am not a believer in this tandem of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Every time I look up at the Western Conference standings the last three or four years, the Portland Trailblazers always find a way to be in the top four of the playoff pitcher in the West. Yeah, 538 did not have them in the playoffs. Yeah, 538 doesn't know what they're talking about. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm on TV. Wait, were we just taken down by Jalen Rose? Yeah, it sounds like it. We got called out. That's kind of great, right? I That's like a that. Win. I don't Follow that under wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rose on ESPN's Get Up was reacting to our predictions for the season, which are powered by our new Raptor metric. So let's dive into our predictions and see how they stack up next to these hot takes. Jeff, the betting markets, the NBA GM survey, and some of the takes we just heard give the Clippers the best odds of winning the title this year. What does our model forecast for the Clippers? We're not that far off. I mean, we're they're the, they have the second best odds. Eighteen, so they have an eighteen percent chance of winning the title. We have the Rockets at a twenty-seven percent chance. So that's actually pretty significant. It seems to me, um, and the Bucks are right behind at sixteen percent, followed by the Sixers at fourteen percent. So it's essentially the same narrative you'll see in the betting markets as the orders flipped around. Is that it's the the champions coming from one of these four teams, most likely. Why does our model like the Rockets to win it all? Well, I think the big thing is that it really loves James Harden uh, specifically, uh, and it likes his offense. I think that is not overly surprising, but it even thinks he's an above-average defender based on the Raptor metric that we went into um, painstaking detail with Nate Silver in, I think it was last week's episode. It also likes the rest of the players on that team in the sense that it thinks that it's a deep team. Picked up Russell Westbrook. It actually thought that Chris Paul was better than Russell Westbrook uh, and and projects uh, CP3 to be better. We can probably get into uh, the Thunder at some point later. Uh, but it still thinks Westbrook is a good player. It likes Clint Capella. It kind of likes Eric Gordon. At least it thinks that um, he's he's decent. Uh, PJ Tucker. Uh, so 
they have a lot of above average players on the team and then on top of that it has what uh raptor thinks is the best player in the league in james harden and i think there's a narrative out there about the rockets that is sort of pushing them down in the title odds uh that we're talking about this idea that they had their shot you know they 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 took their shot at the warriors and they had the warriors on the ropes each of the past few years and they blew it both of those times, and they're just spent. There's these other teams that are now the flavors of the month that um, are emerging, and the Rockets are yesterday's news. But I think that that's kind of, I don't know, that's a weird narrative because you could flip that around and say, look, the Warriors, um, you know, for most of last year uh, before literally everyone on their team seemed to get injured uh, for the finals. Uh, But especially in the preceding several years, the Warriors were arguably the best team in NBA history. And the Rockets stood toe-to-toe with them and really gave them all that they could handle. I mean, there were other teams that had also come close to knocking off the Warriors. I think about the Thunder in 2016, uh, who who really had a chance to knock them out and and uh, also missed on it. But there have not been that many teams. Obviously, I should also mention the Cavs beat the Warriors in the finals, uh, one of the all-time great um, comebacks. Uh, but the teams that could say that they did that are few and far between during that era. And it really was like, the peak of LeBron's Cavs, the Westbrook, Durant, Thunder at their peak, and then the Rockets for a couple of years. And so now that the Warriors are diminished and the and a lot of the pieces of that team have been kind of scattered, why wouldn't the Rockets be the team that's kind of left standing? They haven't lost really much of anything. Uh, and if you're a, a Russell Westbrook supporter, you might think that they've actually kind of bolstered themselves uh, compared with some of those earlier editions of the team. Uh, and so that would be the argument for the Rockets is, you know, why why would we think that this team that was only held back by the presence of this one historically great team wouldn't be the favorite because now this historically great team is diminished? Well, and that's what you said about Russell Westbrook is interesting, too. Would they actually even have a better chance if they had kept Chris Paul? Our, and our model, model actually th- would probably think that they would. Right, because our model likes Paul better than Westbrook. And it doesn't know that the two of them reportedly had a bitter feud and could not stand to, uh, you know, speak to one another by the end of last season. Wait, why isn't that an input into Raptor? It should be, right? That should be the next edition of Raptor. Should have beefs. Oh, my God. Yes. What would be the backronym for beef? We'll have to think on that. Yeah, I was going to say we should incorporate the great SB Nation um, video series Beef History and kind of (laughs) add, you know, data collected from them. Partner with them on that. If you're listening to SB Nation, let's do do some beef-adjusted projections. Beef adjusted. Amazing. <laughs> well, so the reason Jalen Rose thinks that we don't know what we're, to, what we're doing is because our projections give the Portland Trailblazers just a 38% chance of making the playoffs. The previous version of our model was also very low on the Blazers. Neil, did they see a, any boost with Raptor? Why are we still so hard on them? Yeah, no, I think um, they didn't really see any kind of boost 
no penalty, but also they're just sort of exactly where they were uh, in the in the previous iteration of the projections. And I was maybe a little bit surprised by that, just because they do seem low for a team that made the Western Conference Finals last year. But it's been pointed out that you know that comes with kind of an asterisk because they were on a very easy side of the playoff bracket uh, to to be able to kind of get to that point. But uh, our model has been down on them for. A couple of years now, uh, it didn't even think that they were going to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder in the first round last year, especially after Yusef Nurkic, who is somebody that our model actually really likes uh, and and is one of those like eye popping ones where you're like, hmm, that's interesting that it ranks him that highly. He's out. And so uh, it sort of punishes the the Blazers projection for that. Uh, But otherwise, it likes Dame Lillard. It maybe doesn't think C.J. McCollum is a star, and it has questions about Hassan Whiteside. Like a lot of the the big men that we were talking about last week when we were breaking down Raptor, it doesn't really give Whiteside a lot of credit for the scoring that he does because a lot of it is assisted, and uh, you know he doesn't really stretch the floor all that much, uh, and so it thinks that the majority of his value is on defense. Um, and... Yeah, then if you go beyond them on the depth chart for the Blazers, there's, you know, a lot of Rodney Hood, who the model doesn't like, Kent Bazemore, who the model doesn't like, uh, Zach Collins. So it seems reductive, but it's like it doesn't think that they have that many good players. (laughs) So why would you expect them to have a good season? Aside from that one point that that, uh, people are making about how far into the playoffs that they went last year. Right, which isn't like a, a great predictor. How far they went last year doesn't have anything to do with how they'll do this season. And even though, obviously, we remember that. And so I think that's what's stuck in uh, some people's minds. Like You know, it's, it's not even that far off from if, – if you look at the betting markets, I think they have the currently the 10th best odds and – we have them as the 11th best odds. So that it's not that different. I think the number that's popping out is that 1% to win the title feels low. Or the odds of making the playoffs. I think that's that might be the biggest one. And, or Yeah, or I was going to say, or the 38% odds of making the playoffs. And by the way, just to correct something I said earlier, I, I, I said the winners usually coming from the big four. I was kind of implying to a lot of, you know, NBA people making predictions. The actual betting markets are a lot higher on the Lakers, who are this. I think the second favorite, four to one, to win the title. But that is sentiment is not really predicted a lot of other places, and and we have the Lakers down as like the sixth choice, I believe. So that's probably the biggest discrepancy actually with our model. Yeah, if you're going to take a team from the West that that seemed like they were being sort of unduly disrespected by the model, it makes more sense to kind of call it the Lakers projection than it does the Blazers, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we we have them at 3% to win the finals, and that's with all of the adjustments for, you know, playoff experience and LeBron James um, tending to usually play a lot better in the playoffs than he does during the regular season. And even after all that, we don't really think that they're necessarily in that like upper crust that the betting markets seem to kind of put them next to the Clippers. And I don't know if that's like just bias of LeBron and AD. It seems like a really amazing pairing. And so you kind of look at that and you're like, okay, well, first of all, this team's definitely not going to miss the playoffs like it did last year. And then once they get in there, who's going to be able to kind of go uh, pound for pound with that duo. Um, Whereas our model sort of looks at like the whole entirety of a team's roster and kind of says like, yeah, you know, maybe 
Kyle Kuzma isn't that good. And maybe, you know, they have a lot of weird veterans who are overrated or way past their prime. Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, maybe even JaVale McGee, uh, although our model likes his defense. So, you know, and one of the big things that came out of plugging in Raptor was just how little it thinks of LeBron James. That's just what I was going to ask about. I mean, we talked to Nate about that a couple weeks ago, but our metric is not like the player considered the best player the best in the player league right the now, league, yeah. which is is fascinating. It thinks and he's a borderline all star. Yeah, is the is the category that it puts him in, and some of that has to do with like future projections, also. And he's thirty five. Yeah, this is his age thirty five season, which is also surprising. I like yeah. will always think of him as. I mean, he doesn't really seem to age, and really before last season, he hadn't felt the effects of that much. He hadn't gotten hurt basically at all. So it was sort of surprising to see him not play. And then it's like, oh, right, he's going to be 35. That makes sense. It's it's harder when you get older. I've heard. Yeah. And a lot of his comparisons, I mean, um, you know, for every Carl Malone who had famously a very long productive career uh, as he sort of aged into his late 30s, you have Kobe Bryant who basically fell off a cliff because of injury. But it shows that great players that, uh, you know, uh, all time greats can are just like one unexpected injury away. LeBron had an injury last year, even, you know, that that took him out for a previously unprecedented amount of time. So it's not, you know, crazy to think that um, his his production should have some risk of injury baked into it as he gets older. So what about last year's finalists, the Warriors and the Raptors? We know what happened to the Warriors there. A, first, their players all got hurt before the final, and now a lot of their players are gone. So what does our model think of the Warriors? I think in general they're high on them. I mean, we, we give them better chance. We give them better chance to win the championship than the Lakers um, at mm-hmm. 6% compared to the Lakers at 3%. We give them better chance to win the championship than the Jazz, who I think a, a, most people will agree is a stronger uh lineup top to bottom than what the Warriors have this year. And I, we have them at 78% chance to make the playoffs. So pretty high comparatively, um, considering that I've seen some people think they're a borderline playoff team or, you know, a six, seven seed, which is, I think pretty challenging for all of us to like get our heads around considering what we've been used to for the last couple of years. But I see it. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, I coming in there, I think it's a kind of an awkward fit. I think, it's going to take a while to, you know, come together. Clay Thompson's obviously out for a while, so uh, I'm not expecting that much from them. Are you guys? Well, I mean, I think it's um, never discount Curry. It is, is is a lesson that you know, if if our model ends up being more correct than um, some of these other predictions, we can kind of point to probably Curry as the reason why, maybe Draymond, and that pairing as being one of the underappreciated duos I think in NBA history because of Durant and because of Clay and the Splash Brothers and like all of this I think we forget that probably the two most valuable players and the core players that have been there throughout this entire run for the Warriors once they finally you know started winning championships are Curry and Draymond Green and they both are two of the most unique kind of mold-breaking revolutionary players in basketball history. And for some reason, I still don't think maybe it's because they don't fit the preconceived notion of what we think that a great basketball player looks like or plays like. People don't give them credit as like all-time great players. We've talked about this time and again, the splits of 
who the Warriors did best with when they were on the court, uh, whether it was Curry or Durant uh, during the era in which KD was there. It's like Curry, not even a question that Curry was the driving force still, even with another all-time great in Durant on the same team. Curry was driving that bus. If you look at Kevin Durant and you look at Steph Curry next to each other, you know, most people with the gaze, the general assessment, zero evidence would think instantly that Durant was easily the better player. But the stats say that the things Curry does and the gravity that he creates with his shooting ability helps a team a lot more. The one other team I wanted to talk about was the defending champions, the Raptors. The namesake of our model. The namesake of our model who are model thinks very little of um unfortunately for them. well we, i don't know i mean i think it thinks higher them than than vegas does i mean we're giving them a one percent chance to win the championship so you're saying there's a chance i'm saying there's a chance that's the same as we're giving the blazers and i don't think a lot of people would look at the raptors and the blazers and and think that the raptors would be equivalent to them after losing Kawhi. Yeah, I mean, we're giving the Raptors a 91% chance to make the playoffs. So, you know, we think they'll get there. We just don't think they'll go anywhere once they're there, which is probably right. Yeah, well, one of the things is I think that the Raptors last year, there's the perception that Kawhi basically just dragged this team of nobodies to the championship. Um, And that's not really accurate. Kyle Lowry is a player that our model thinks is really good and has been really good. He showed up as being one of the 10 most valuable players of the player tracking era. So the last six seasons, which I don't think a lot of people would give him credit for being, um, if they weren't looking at the stats, it likes, you know, Siakam is a player that maybe lost value over the summer when we put in Raptor, but he still rates as an above average, good player. Mark Gasol still has a lot of defensive value. Fred Van Vliet has a lot of offensive value. So, I don't know. It's not. It wasn't just Kawhi Leonard and a bunch of like clowns. It was <laughs> uh, like a decent group around him that you right. would think would be positioned to at least be okay. It's just hard to make a case when you lose your clear best player and don't really add anyone at all to say that they'll be even remotely the same. I mean, I think that's pretty reasonable to be kind of down on them no no i mean i think that's reasonable to be down compared with last year when they won the championship but you know there's a middle ground between having them be favorites to win the championship which we did going into the finals we sure did uh (laughs) and and you know writing them off completely i guess is my point so let's put ourselves out there and get our predictions down now the first day of the season, Neil, why don't you go so that then Jeff can make his uh, predictions counter to your predictions? So we're predicting the finals? I think we need the finals. Come on. Because the conferences are so different. And, you know, we need we need to see your, your thoughts on both conferences. This isn't just who's the best team in the West. Okay, well, I'm going to stand up for the model. And I'm going to pick the Rockets to win the West. And I'm going to pick... I'll be a Philly homer and pick the Sixers to win the East, although they are a team that uh, lost a lot over the summer when we installed Raptors. So um, I'm going to stick with them nonetheless. Oh, yeah, they were our 
preseason favorites in our, our, our for the old model. Our early yeah. summer favorites, <laughs> yeah. not our official preseason favorites, but they're, t- right. yeah, the model doesn't like Ben Simmons, basically, and it doesn't like some of the other guys like Horford uh, that they added, and so it really downgraded them for that, uh, and it thinks that the Bucks are the favorite to win the East. But I'm going to go counter to that so I don't appear too chalky, Jeff, and I'm going to go rocket <laughs> sticks. I feel like uh, just as a point of order, like going with the model that we have calibrated to <laughs> choose these teams what is like we just, smart. All, we just all pick the model. Yeah, well, right. Well, I mean, that's, that's the danger of doing this. These shoot from the hip predictions, you know. But no, um, I'm saying what I'm saying is that your predictions are good, and Jeff is being a little ridiculous. Which, well, no, oh, I, I try to. That's evergreen. So. What I'm doing is ridiculous because I'm like. I want to pick something that's like close to the top of the model, but I don't want to pick exactly what the model says. So I sort of, I I pick just like the tier that's like right below, which I guess is also how I did March Madness. Like when I picked the final four, I was like, I don't want one seeds, but two seeds are looking pretty good to me. And you had... And I did the get the final, final four, four, so you know. So maybe this maybe is fine. This is good for the Rockets to six. Oh, and I didn't say who I uh, think would win the championship. I'm going to take the Rockets. They're just a better team, I think, in terms of you know the the top line talent and the depth uh, than the Sixers. But we shall see. Okay, Jeff. Um, I'm going to take the Celtics over the Jazz. Now, just kidding. <laughs> I actually like the Sixers. Also, I think um, I think it's really between the Bucks and the Sixers. I think that's. Pretty clear. Jeff, you were supposed to take the Bucks. I gave you the Bucks. I know, but I, you know, I think losing Brogdon's big. I think that was a big loss. I like the Sixers. I like the addition of Horford. I think their defense is going to be great, and um, I just think top to bottom, assuming Embiid can stay healthy, which is a bit of an assumption, they're the best team in that conference. So I'm going to do Sixers over Clippers. Oh, there you go. Okay. A lot of red, white, That's and blue. sensible. That is sensible. I tempered down my uh, ambition with that. All right. I like that. So you're going to play good. contrarian, Sarah? I am. I'm going to play contrarian yes. because somebody has to here. Yeah, um, I'm I'm taking the Bucks. I think this is... I mean, I understand the, the concerns about, about Brogdon, but, um, but, you know, now they have Cal Corver, so they're fine. They're great. Everything's fine. <laughs> and from the West, I'm going to take the Warriors. That is wow. nice. I like that pick. I think we've we've made a compelling case here that Steph, Draymond, and Clay in the postseason. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, obviously. And if Clay is back for the postseason, I, I think they're. I I still think they're right there. And I also think the Rockets have a they have a twins esque problem with beating the Warriors. Like the Twins can't beat the Yankees, the Rockets can't beat the Warriors. The Warriors are living in their head rent free. Exactly. <laughs> well, I want to say just shout out quick to the Denver Nuggets. We did not mention them, and I feel like uh, we were remiss in that none of us picked them. So maybe I I should have picked them, but um, they're another team that shows up very high in our uh, in our ratings and kind of a if you're looking for a dark horse team, you know the Nuggets have a six percent chance of winning, and that's a team that again people don't give almost any credit to all right that sounds great we will check back frequently with how our predictions are looking throughout the regular season oh yeah no i'm sure they're gonna do great (laughs) let's pause for a moment from one of this week's sponsors candid it may feel way too early to talk about the holidays but trust me you don't want to go through another holiday season taking closed mouth photos while everyone else is grinning ear to ear getting a photo ready smile starts now and it's easier than ever with clear aligners from candid Candid's aligners can help straighten your teeth faster than traditional wire braces. Treatment takes just six months on average. 
Here's how it works. An experienced orthodontist creates a custom treatment plan. Then they show you a 3D preview so you can see how your teeth will look after you're done. Candid then ships your aligners directly to you so there's no hassle of going to an orthodontist office. Candid's aligners are comfortable, removable, and completely invisible, and they cost 65% less than braces. Plus, with each aligner purchased, Candid donates $25 to Smile Train, which brings safe, 100% free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe. Get your photo-ready smile by the holidays. Go to candidco.com slash takedown and use code takedown to get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash takedown, code takedown for $75 off. Game one of the World Series is tonight with the Houston Astros taking on the Washington Nationals in the best of seven series. The Astros are heavy favorites coming into the Fall Classic. Vegas has Houston as minus 235 favorites with the underdog Nationals listed at plus 195. The Strohs are the largest favorites since the 2007 World Series. But not everyone is ready to hand over the trophy. Here's Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser on ESPN's Pardon the Interruption discussing whether the Nationals should be the ones considered favorites. The Nationals are as good as the Astros right now. They have the energy. Are you making them the favorites? Yes. I won't do that. Yes. Great starting pitching beats what? Everything. Beats everything. That's right. Jeff, is there any merit to Wilbon's argument? Are we too quick to count out the Nats? Look, I mean, I think with that pitching lineup, I I don't think anyone's counting them out. When you have Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and these, you know, even Annabelle Sanchez, you know, coming in um, when necessary, who's been great. Yeah, I mean, like... They can shut down anyone. The other side of this is that Houston has a better lineup top to bottom and has probably equally good starting pitching. But, you know, at this point with baseball, you know, of all the sports we try to predict, I I think I'm bad at predicting all of them, but particularly (laughs) bad at predicting baseball because you never know really, you know, which starters are going to deliver and which starters are going to implode, which happens all the time on this stage. What happened with Kershaw? But, you know, you could have a guy like Bumgarner a few couple of years ago with the Giants who was just lights out and, and that was it. I mean, like that he's good enough to carry that team to three wins in that series and or two wins or whatever he did. And, and, and that's enough often. So, Jeff, you talked about starting pitching, and Wilbon called that out as well. Neil, just how good are these starting pitchers? When I was looking at this, um, I noticed that by wins above replacement, the best pitching stat- starting rotation, I should say, in the um, in baseball this year belonged to the Nationals, which makes sense. Scherzer and, and a bunch of other uh, good guys uh, on there. But then the Astros were second in pitching war. And so I was thinking, like, well, how often has this happened uh, where the number one and the number two rotations in all of baseball faced off in the World Series? And I was a little surprised that it has only happened two times prior to this year. It happened in 1986. So the Mets and the Red Sox were one, two in uh, pitching, starting pitching war. And then in 2005, the White Sox and the Astros, but at the time they were the National League representative in the World Series, which is bizarre, uh, they were also one and two in pitching war. And so if you go back to, I should say this since the start of the expansion era, which was 1961, those are the only three times, this is one of only three times that we've had the best two rotations in baseball uh, face off in the World Series. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about just how many Hall of Famers there are in this, how many you know, Cy Young's that the the staffs have combined. And 
like you were saying, Jeff, that is a factor that really can tip a series is just like which of your highly touted starters, your aces show up and which ones don't. And we even saw that a little bit in the um, in the respective league championship series where Anibal Sanchez was pitching gems. I mean, it was uh, amazing to see him kind of uh, come through in this incredible performance. And then on the other side, Zach Greinke did not look all that great for for large stretches of the ALCS. And I know it was against the Yankees and, and their lineup, but... It just kind of shows that, you know, you can kind of plan everything around. I should say Verlander got lit up in, in one of those games, uh, too, in, in the first inning, and, and the team was never able to quite uh, recover from it. So you can feel like it's a lock when you have a dominant starter going to the hill, but it's still baseball, you know, and that's why even after all of that kind of historic mismatch talk that we were just saying, we have the Astros at 60% to win the World Series, and we had the Nationals at 40%. The Red Sox were roughly the same, if not you know, heavier favorites last year, and they ended up beating the Dodgers, but I think that that sort of puts it in context. The Dodgers have been an all-time great team also uh, over the past few years, and you would think the Nationals, who don't have that kind of a pedigree, would be even bigger underdogs, but that's not really true. They're roughly the same, if you know, a level of underdogs compared with the Astros going into this series as the Dodgers were going into last year's World Series against the Red Sox. A seven-game series is longer than, obviously, any other series that, that we play in baseball, but it's still not that long. And so lots of things can happen. You can have a dominant pitching performance one day, blow the game the next day, and you're just back to square one, right? So... The Astros should be favorites, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything in a World Series. Now watch them sweep and like we'll have hedged this for for no good reason. I'm sort of curious what they do with Sanchez. I, I was hearing some places making an argument that he should actually start Game One, maybe because he almost threw a no hitter in the NLCS in Game One of, of that series. <laughs> um, but then what that would do is it would kind of shift the rotation down, and you could would get. Strasburg and Scherzer later in the series for those critical games and then you know maybe use him out of the bullpen and use Corbin out of the bullpen it would give him more flexibility now I'm sort of curious you know if they reach a game four if they throw him out there or they go back to Scherzer what do you think yeah I mean it's kind of pick your poison when you look at who the Astros are kind of going you know if you're trying to play that matchup game and be like well we're staring at Cole uh, in game one. Uh, and so do you want to put Scherzer up against that and kind of go exactly. just toe to toe with like the best against the best? Uh, but then it's like, well, you still got to deal with Verlander and you still got to deal with Granky. And so I don't know. You eventually get down to, I, I think the one advantage might just be that they do have that, that fourth guy in Anibal Sanchez, uh, as we saw in the Yankees series. It didn't end up hurting them, but they had to go full bullpen game uh, in that deciding game because they really only had like three true starters carried on their ALCS roster. And some of that was trying to kind of match up person for person with who the Yankees had because the Yankees were in the same spot kind of. But I do think that that depth of having that fourth legitimate starter who can actually go out there and shut down uh, a, a top class team could prove... You know, we're we're underappreciating how how valuable that could be because 
I got to say, the Astros were extremely lucky to come away with that win uh, in Game 6 against the Yankees. I mean, they were hanging on by a thread throughout that game, even before blowing it uh, at the end and then needing Altuve to kind of bail them out. Ah, Altuve. What a great... What, what, a, a, what a hero. What a guy, yeah. Love him. <laughs> yeah, he's I the love, best. You know, we've all seen the, the image of Aaron Judge standing next to Jose Altuve and towering over him, but I loved... After that home run, the Photoshop where they flipped it around and they made Altuve six foot seven and Judge five foot whatever. Yeah. That was a great one. The proportions to make that happen were pretty fantastic. You know, one advantage, and it really bothers me about this World Series, and I hate to bring up this this old argument, is the DH. And if you look at the Astros lineup with Alvarez at DH versus what the Nationals are getting by having to use a DH in those games in Houston. I think that's like a huge advantage. I guess they're going to use Kendrick or I, it's unclear. But, you know, again. Oh, but I would say Jeff, the way this? Alvarez, the way Alvarez has not been hitting and seems to be. That's true. But I mean, completely useless. I don't true. know how much of an advantage. No, that is. but true. But I mean, it's still a guy who hit 27 home runs in 87 games. I mean. Well, and these these two teams also had the most num- number of strikeouts of all teams during the regular season. So if there's a de-juiced... On the pitching side. Yeah, 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 yeah. If there's a de-juiced ball plus the pitchers are throwing heat, the hitters are screwed. Basically. Oh, but the Astros <laughs> had the fewest strikeouts as hitters uh, in, in baseball that's, this year. That is so a good point. maybe yeah. that's a hidden that's uh, a uh, advantage. For, I don't know. I don't know how much to read into some of these, like, you know, matchup based things uh, about who has an edge because I feel like whatever narrative you want to, you can kind of spin with this when it's that close. And again, fundamentally, all baseball series are, are if this is one of the historic mismatches and it's 60 40, then it tells you most baseball series are going to be decided on like a coin flip. I did want to give a brief shout out to a story on our website today, 538.com by Travis Sachik, detailing how between these two teams, this is the greatest collection of top pitching talent ever assembled by war. This is the first World Series ever with five pitchers boasting at least five wins above replacement for their World Series representative club. They Astros actually have another in Zach Greinke, but his war was split between between two teams. So a lot of pitching talent on here again, which will be great. But the funny thing is, you know, one of these guys is going to get bombed. Like well, there's sure. no way they all. It, I mean, someone always does. I don't know the... who it's going to be, Zach Greinke. <laughs> it's going to be Greinke. <laughs> it's like 100 percent Greinke. <laughs> I hope it's not Cole. I have a, a deep affinity for Garrett Cole because he was on my my fantasy baseball team all season. My, oh, this year championship Whoa. fantasy baseball team this Congratulations. season. Congratulations. So, yes, Way to you. bury the lead on that. You didn't mention that Well, it happened like a month long. ago. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> you should have brought it up. Yeah. I guess you were just too, you were like, I'm going to jinx the Twins by talking about a personal championship. Well, no, I was going to jinx myself, as I also jinx the Twins by talking about them. Yeah. I didn't want to jinx myself. Yeah. Okay, so let's give our predictions for the World Series. I want to hear who you think is going to win. Jeff, you have to go first this time. I'm obviously taking the Nationals. Uh, just to play my role. That's being a little <laughs> counterintuitive. You are counterintuitive. <laughs> I'm just sort of banking on uh, Scherzer and Strasburg doing a like Schilling and Randy Johnson type deal here and, and taking over this series. Nice. I like Cole a lot, obviously, and Verlander's great, but you know, 
at the end of the day, I think Corbin's really good too. So I think just the pitching's a little bit stronger on the Nationals. How many games? Oh, give me as many. Give me the max. I'll take seven. So you think Nationals 4-3? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Neil, what do you got? I guess I'm going to have to take the Astros, right? Uh, and I'll take Astros in seven. We talked about the potential for kind of a blow-up start or something like that. I mean, we've seen Scherzer have some ter- terrible, you know, starts to playoff games. Even the the wild card game, it seemed like, you know, he has a penchant for coming into uh, a situation and then just giving up like inexplicable home runs. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that the Astros did not look very strong at the plate in that series against the uh, the Yankees. And so I don't know. I, I again, I'm going to go the maximum number of games in the opposite direction. Astros have home field for uh, games six and seven. Uh, by virtue of having the better record. Thank God it's not based on the All-Star game uh, still. And uh, that's going to be the edge. And Cole has been so unhittable. He might even be on like a different level slightly from even some of the other star pitchers mm-hmm. that we're talking about in, in this series. He seems like if anybody is going to go full Bumgarner and and kind of will a team uh, to a win. It's going to be him. You never want to go full Bumgarner. You always want to oh, go, go full Bumgarner unless you're riding a motorcycle. What was it that he yeah. injured himself yeah. doing? Dirt bike. Yeah. yeah, dirt bike. I am going to take the Astros in five. Whoa! Now wait, didn't you take didn't you take the uh, the Raptors over the Warriors in five? I did. Brilliant. And I was very close. Almost. Worked. Yeah. It was the Raptors yeah. in six. All right. Well, we'll check back in next week to see how our predictions hold up. Let's hear a word from this week's other sponsor, Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. It may feel easier to just brush it off or make excuses. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. Roman is simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash takedown and complete a free online visit. That's getroman.com slash takedown to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Again, that's getroman.com slash takedown. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Our rabbit hole this week comes from the NFL. On the first Chicago drive on Sunday during the Bears game against the Saints, a punt from Chicago's Pat O'Donnell was blocked and went careening into the end zone. O'Donnell managed to get to the ball and slap it out of the back of the end zone. That was a penalty that resulted in a safety, but that was actually the best case scenario there. The Saints had a great chance there to recover the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. Jeff, you might have noticed this. A similar situation happened Monday night in the Jets-Patriots game. The Jets were on... Oh, did that Did that happen? I, I wasn't watching. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the update. No, I saw it. It was a very heads-up play by Darnold. So the Jets were on their own six-yard line when the ball was snapped over the head of quarterback Sam Darnold. Instead of letting a New England defender recover for a touchdown, Darnold batted the ball out for a safety, keeping the score to a manageable 26 to nothing <laughs> instead oh of God. 31. It's just unnecessary. We've already, already been litigated. You had to go back <laughs> to it. 
I did. I enjoyed it. Both players showed great presence of mind to take the outcome that would cost them less, which is always fun to see. But it struck me as kind of hilarious that doing the illegal thing there, the thing that earns you a penalty, was rewarded by giving the other team fewer points. (laughs) And it got us thinking about other sort of random NFL rules that perhaps aren't what you think they would be. Neil, you got one? Well, uh, so I have an example from the uh, Packers-Raiders game uh, of what I think is one of the most ludicrous uh, rules in all of sports. But it's a situation where, uh, in this particular situation, Derek Carr was running for the pylon to try to score a touchdown, and he sort of dove and held out the ball, and he lost the ball before it crossed the plane, and it flew out of his hand and then went out of bounds like through the end zone and that play rightly according to the rules was ruled a touchback and it was the Packers ball uh, taking over. So it is a turnover. Uh, And to me, that feels like one of the most punitive and just nonsensical plays. If so, what you're saying is if he had fumbled it on the, the non end zone side of the pylon, it just would have been Raiders ball. They would have just kept it. Uh, but you're saying that just by virtue of being out of bounds through the end zone, it is now a total turnover, total change, you know, in field position, potential points. Uh, th- those types of things can can totally swing a game. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could say, well, you shouldn't fumble. I mean, <laughs> as a general also, rule, yeah, you should probably great. not fumble. Good advice. Um, but to me, that has always struck me as just such a dumb rule. It feels like a relic of another time uh, almost. And it comes up, you know, a handful of times per season to me, like even a solution where if you fumble it out of the end zone, it's like you put it on the yard line, the 20 yard line, but it's not a touchback. You keep possession of the ball, but you're penalized, you know, 19 yards or however from when you dove like that might even be a little bit much, but I could kind of see it uh, as as like an alternative fair, more that's mm-hmm. more fair. But it seems so unfair to strip you of possession for fumbling out of the end zone. Yeah. The opponent's end zone. Right. <laughs> I sort of get it. I get it. I stand by that rule. Because once the <laughs> okay. ball trusts the once the ball in football, speaking in the most broad terms, crosses the goal line, it. It changes. Its value has changed. It's a you different know, ball. It's a, so the ball has is now belongs to the other team. If you if you you don't want to be able to roll the ball into the end zone, imagine what you could do if you didn't have that. Ooh, football bowling. You could potentially fumble the ball kind of forward and get a touchdown in a really. Well, so the Raiders. Play. The Raiders of all teams did do that on a play in the 70s, and they scored a touchdown. But that's a whole separate rule in which you're not allowed to advance a fumble, I think, once it once it gets recovered at that point. But that's a totally separate rule. They have a rule to try to keep teams from doing that thing. That's not pertinent to the <laughs> touchback rule. You would just be more reckless with the ball towards the goal line if you're trying to get in. Knowing that, if I you think they are anyway. Though I mean, you see the team, the guys hold out the ball, you know, to try to I break don't the plane. You got to break the plane. I'm standing by this, but it just seems a little. I, I don't have the perfect argument. I get what you're saying, Neil, but it just seems weird to not punish a team at all for that. To just give them the ball and, and a penalty. Oh, they feels shouldn't like get it at like, like what, the what, one. What, what? Yeah, but then what? What penalty is that? What rule did they break? You don't really get a penalty for fumbling. Yeah, make it like a ten yard penalty or something. 
You can, you know, the NFL has the ability to add rules and penalties to the books anytime the they want. It's their game. Dropping the ball and having it roll outside, you know, across the goal line and out of bounds. Bumbling I mean, out of the end zone. It's the same infraction that it is right now, which is you lose the ball. I mean, yeah, you get yeah. To there's already the a penalty for it, right? It is. I have had teams I'm rooting for do that, and it is very frustrating. So, <laughs> so I, I get it, Neil. I get your okay. frustration. I don't hate the rule, though. Um, okay, Jeff, what's your weird NFL rule? I've always been sort of interested in a couple baseball rules, specifically the infield fly and the balk, because all they are are just basically uh, safeguards against a really lame form of cheating that could exist. Intentionally dropping a pop-up and turning into a double play is the infield fly rule. What that prevents, a balk prevents a guy from just keeping someone on base by pump faking and, and never starting his rotation. So they had to put those rules in to, to, to prevent those two actions from happening. So it's a long way of saying I've always wondered in the NFL if you're about to lose and a guy's running down the sidelines for a touchdown, why not someone on the sidelines just strips him? What's the worst that happens? <laughs> Turns out there is a rule to prevent that called the palpably unfair rule. Palpably unfair. Palpably unfair, which is a nice way of saying extreme cheating. <laughs> Cheap BS. <And laughs> essentially, it gives the refs the discretion to do whatever they want. They can award a touchdown. They can award as much yardage as they so desire. It's a huge umbrella that it's really never coming into play. But essentially, it, it is it is a safeguard against a team tripping a guy who's running in for a touchdown or running onto the field and tackling him. It also prevents teams, which I thought was really interesting, from goaltending a field goal, which would be to essentially on like a long like 55-yarder stand under the goalpost and, and try to knock down a, a field goal as it comes, which I was a little <laughs> angry oh, yeah. at myself for not thinking of when I was you know daydreaming about uh, you know someone on the sidelines tackling uh, a potential touchdown. Um, and it, it also is in there to safeguard something really weird happening, like a fan running on the field or a photographer tripping up a player. And it gives them a, a, a chance to award a touchdown um, or whatever they see fit. Um, interesting, it did come up a couple years ago with um, a really sort of obscure thing that the Niners did in a game against the Saints, where it was about the... Um, it was about the end of the half and it was like only a couple of seconds left and they were trying like one more shot to get a touchdown instead of settling for a field goal. And all the Niners at once just at the same time just grabbed the receivers and basically tackled them all committing defensive yeah. holding at the same time because what's the worst that's going to happen? There's only a couple seconds left. And essentially this rule is also there to safeguard against things like that. But in that case, they have to like throw the flag once and you get a warning and then they can institute the palpably unfair if, if for something like that, like a tactical holding or, or anything like that, where everyone's breaking the rules at once. Wouldn't it be more fun for the NFL to get rid of that and allow tripping on the sideline? Like make, you know, merge the NFL with WWE and have like, you know, random players run on, tag in, or just just come on and just tackle grab a someone. Chair and like, hit yeah, exactly. Someone. We want more sh chair hits of running backs going down the field. Well, I think you know, if NFL's ratings ever drop, I really think they should consider that. It could happen. I also yeah. sort of question why you're not allowed to goaltend a field goal. I mean, if you're allowed to, you know, you look back at the Iron Bowl with the kick six, you're allowed to catch it and and, and run it down. Why can't you try to knock it down? 
Why not? It's it's like blocking a field goal, but just from the other side of the ball's trajectory. <laughs> if, right. If you can jump that high, more Go power for it. to Yeah, you. exactly. Well, the ones that just sneak over the crossbar. But then they would have like specialists on the team that would be like, you know, seven feet tall. Yeah. And they would just Taco stand under. In yeah, the Taco Fall. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Taco Fall. <laughs> field goal blocker. <laughs> Those are some fun NFL rules. I think uh, we have good ideas to make them all better. Um, I think the league needs to listen listen in on, on that and go for it. We can leave that there. That will do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and please do review and rate the show. It really does help other people discover us. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Grace Lynch. Tony Chow is in the control room. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.